0: If you would, please join me and take out your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5. As we come to this portion of God's Word, let's come to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it indeed is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So, Father, be pleased to use this word before us as your Holy Spirit gives us understanding and the ability to put into practice your truth. Uh, We want to know what we are to believe about you, Lord. We want to know what you require of your people. Be pleased now, Father, to use your word and spirit to change your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. an original copy, a deafening silence, a virtual reality, a definite maybe, an exact estimate, an open secret, he was found missing, and I'd like an order of jumbo shrimp. Well, what are these? You know, oxymorons, yes, figures of speech that combine two normally contradictory terms. Now, even the great William Shakespeare weaved oxymorons into Act One, Scene One of Romeo and Juliet. Romeo cries over his feelings for Juliet and he says this Here's much to do with hate, but more with love. Why then, O brawling love, O loving hate, O heavy lightness, serious vanity? Feather of lead, bright smoke, cold fire, sick health, still waking sleep. That is not what it is. This love feel I that feel no love in this. Dost thou not laugh? (laughs) Well, yes, we probably do laugh at that. Well, today we're going to encounter an oxymoron in Scripture. Though it's neither humorous like these examples, nor as elaborate as William Shakespeare. We will see that Luke combines seemingly opposite ideas in his account of the apostles before the council. We will read that the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. In other words, they viewed themselves as honored to be dishonored. Today is number 16 in our series from the book of Acts, our look at all that Jesus continued to do and teach now by the Holy Spirit in the church founded by him through the apostles. Now last week we saw that when you obey God rather than men, you can get into trouble, frustrate others, and yet bring glory to God. And what we saw last week will continue this week in the apostles' obedience to God. We will see them continue to obey God, and it will frustrate the, the religious and political leaders of their day, and it lands them in big trouble. And yet, as we will see, their obedience cannot but bring great glory to God. Now, our approach to these ten verses will be through a brief look at the three principal actors in Luke's narrative account. Those three actors are the council, that is the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, Gamaliel, and the apostles, those men chosen by Christ. And we will see that the members of the council were enraged. The Pharisee Gamaliel advised caution, and the apostles Walked away rejoicing. First, the members of the council, the the Sanhedrin, were enraged. Look with me at verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Well, what's this? What is it they've heard? Well, they've heard a brief sermon. They've heard the apostles continue this same old message. Jesus died. Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus has ascended into heaven. They've heard the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And they've also heard what's absolutely essential in a gospel presentation. uh, Your sin. You have sinned. But they've also heard this offer, this offer of a double gift, this offer of a double grace of repentance and forgiveness. Now, as we we saw last week and as we continue to see this week, the apostles are calm. They're not intimidated. They're not relying here on their own wisdom, but they're rather relying on the truth that God has given them. Think back to the times that Jesus, in His earthly ministry, told His disciples what to expect. Not only did He talk about Himself and His death and resurrection, but He talked about what would happen to them. They're remembering this. The coming of the Holy Spirit, as we saw at Pentecost, has transformed them from being men who are afraid to men who are bold. Now the council or the, the ruling Sanhedrin, this frustration has been taken to another level. There is intense anger over what is being said. They are enraged, or the King James says, cut to the heart. The new American standard, cut to the quick. Uh, the new international version, the new King James version, it's, they are furious If you want to get back to some original work in the languages, they are literally sawn asunder. If you wanted to use a word that talked about a log being cut in half, it's it's sawn asunder. They are infuriated. The best um, picture, if you were to draw this, is they were split open with rage. And we will see that again in a few weeks with Stephen and how they were enraged. In his presence. They wanted to kill, they intended to kill, they plotted to put to death. They have homicidal tendencies. You know, this would be a red flagged warning here. Um, they want to put them to death, and it's well within Jewish and Roman law. Just think they wanted to put Jesus to death, and they got the Roman government to do it for them. Again, what have the apostles done? What have they done? My friends, this is a response to a sermon, okay? This is a response to words. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. That's absolutely not true, right? Words hurt. And they are enraged at a sermon. So we see that the council was enraged to the point of wanting to kill the apostles. Can you imagine that? Think with me again. If somebody says something to you that you don't like, do you want to kill them? The preaching of the gospel caused this response. Now, this is kind of like a two-part um, TV show. You know, it's the end of Batman and Robin, right? Uh, you see them in trouble at the end. The, the Joker or the uh, uh, whoever is, is going to get them, right? This is how it ends, right? No, there's part two, and we see, beginning in verse 34, part two, and part two starts with the word, but, but. So will the apostles die? Will they be sentenced to death? Well, we'll see now. A Pharisee, Gamaliel, advises caution in the midst of this furious rage to kill. Join with me as I read verses 34 through 39. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, Stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while, and he said to them, "Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men, for before these days, Judas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing." you might be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Well, who is Gamaliel? Well, he's an influential Pharisee. You hear his description. He is held in honor by all the people. He's the leader of a rabbinical school founded by his grandfather, Hillel. And in particular, he's the teacher of none other than Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Known as Paul the Apostle. He's described as mature, wise, reasonable, diplomatic. He's got a a public image of, of being respected. And he says to them, to the rest of the council, take care. In other words, think before you act. Remember, they want to put the apostles to death. But he says, slow down. Think about what you want to do. Think before you act on your emotions. Consider carefully. And then he goes on to say, why? Let me give you a history lesson. It's just not me saying, slow down, think. But let me give you a a lesson that we would know here. And there's an argument he makes, and it's supported by two examples. And you heard Thutis and Judas the Galilean. And the point he's making is, when those men were killed, when those leaders were put to death, the movement that they led came to an end. The followers of these men abandoned the cause because these men were dead. And so he he takes it from a history lesson to advice and counsel, and he says, keep away from these men. Let them alone. In other words... He advises a wait and see. He is a proponent of laissez-faire. Just let things work themselves out. No need to to take action. Kind of a a school of economics, laissez-faire. Just let it all work out. We don't need to intervene. And that's what he's recommending. Let's take a wait and see attitude. Because he says, if it is of man... If this movement of these men who are preaching and teaching Jesus is just of their own undertaking, hey, don't worry, it will fail. However, if it is of God, he says you may have something to worry about because you will not be able to stop it. And you may even find yourself in the horrifying position of opposing God. Now these men knew the scriptures to be sure there were Sadducees who denied the resurrection and angels, but the Pharisees who who didn't. Uh, These men, though, were students of the scriptures, and they would have heard those verses that were read earlier about opposing God and God's purposes will prevail. So they took the counsel, they took the advice of Gamaliel, as we will see. Gamaliel advises caution. The council is persuaded and takes his advice. I mean, if anything, isn't this an encouragement for our today's political climate? I mean, people were actually persuaded. Isn't that amazing? That there was a time and a place where you could make an argument, and it would persuade, and we see that. They take his advice. Now, why did they take his advice? Could it be to avoid inflaming sympathy, to avoid raising Roman concerns? Well, we we don't know. But we do know this, that the council was enraged, furious, like boiling over with rage, and yet one of their respected leaders advised caution. And now we're going to see how the apostles because of that, walked away rejoicing. But before they walked away, they were beaten and warned once again. Now, if this beating was the result of being convinced by Gamaliel, then surely death would have been the result if they had been unconvinced. It's interesting, isn't it, to see the history of the church and there's pivotal moments In this deliberation of the council, in this executive session where the apostles were put out and they closed the doors and they talked among themselves, a pivotal time in the history of the church. Had they not been persuaded, would they have been put to death? Probably so. Amazing how God sovereignly orchestrates all things for His glory, for His purposes. So join with me as I pick up in verse 40. back it up, just a phrase. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the disciples, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, and every day in the temple and from house to house, They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were beaten and they were warned. I guess that's the uh, word and deed ministry of the Sanhedrin. They are flogged. Most likely it's 40 lashes minus one. Once on the chest and two times in the back 13 times. My friends, here in the United States, I don't think believers are at the point of getting flogged with their chests and backs ripped open. But it is happening around the world. Our brothers and sisters are facing that kind of physical persecution. They've been in public prison and now they endure a public whipping. Shame, humiliation, disgrace, or so the council thought. It's physical punishment joined with a verbal warning, thought to be a deterrent. Now today here among us, I don't think there's a fear of being whipped. But let me ask you this, are you afraid of man? Are you afraid of what people may think? You know, we just sang this hymn, All for Jesus. If people around you in your office, in your neighborhood, find out you're all for Jesus... Are you going to be able to count the cost? Oh, how we need one another. Oh, how we need to support and encourage one another in this. They are rejoicing at the honor of being dishonored. Isn't it a beautiful antithesis? Honored to be dishonored. Not only did the beatings and threats not deter them, but it rather filled them with joy. Rejoicing in suffering. It's a hallmark, isn't it, of Christians under persecution. And we talked a bit of it about that in our adult class on Pilgrim's Progress. Remember Jesus in the upper room discourse talking to his disciples. If they're they're going to hate you, my followers, because they hated me first. We heard on the Sermon on the Mount that portion of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who suffer persecution on account of me, on account of righteousness. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is forewarning his followers they will suffer. Jesus is in a way saying the cross is going to come before the crown. They are released and without hesitation, immediately they go back to work again. They, they were released not for a, a safer life, but for a more risky obedience. This The time before God brought them out of prison here, they're let out after being beaten. And yet it's for continued work, evangelism. They're teaching and preaching. Back in Luke chapter 20, Luke speaks of Jesus going around teaching and preaching the gospel. And here, his apostles are doing the same in the temple, in public, and then from house to house in private. You've got the public ministry and you've got the private ministry. And what are they teaching and preaching? Ten steps to a better marriage. Three steps for obedient children. Five steps to financial security. What are they preaching? What are they teaching? Jesus and his message, the gospel. They preached Jesus as the Christ. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the promised Messiah of God who gives repentance and forgiveness and eternal life to those who believe. Think about the Great Commission. Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything. Right? That's what they're doing. They're obedient to that great commission. Nothing, not a warning, not a beating, will change their attitude nor their activity. They are committed. The council uses beatings to shame them as a deterrent, whereas the apostles are using beatings as a badge of honor. And they go away rejoicing. Well, we've just made a brief look at this passage through the three major players, the Council, the Pharisee, and the Apostles. Well, let's return and consider the character of two of the actors, both Gamaliel, the uh, Pharisee, and then the Apostles. Gamaliel, remember him? He's calm, cool, and collected, right? A trait that most people admire. But Gamaliel is wrong. He's wrong. He's a Pharisee. He's a man of the laws and the letters, but he's wrong about the nature of human sin and divine grace. He's blinded to the deity of Jesus Christ, and he's blind to seeing Jesus as the promised Messiah. And this blindness is evidenced not only by the aggressive opposition to the truth that we see on the council, it's evidenced by a failure to act. When that truth is revealed. His attitude of is wait and see. Wait and see. My friends, to the best of my knowledge, Gamaliel died waiting to see. He died waiting to see despite all of the evidence around him. The word that was proclaimed and the deeds of Jesus that he either witnessed firsthand or most certainly heard about wait and see my friends it is good in certain situations to wait and see but when the gospel Paul comes to you wait and see is deadly what does the scripture say today is the day of salvation right today act now don't delay so he is wrong but Gamaliel is also right there's a logic. Movements do really tend to die with their leaders. But here we are, 2,000 years later, Christianity hasn't died. And why hasn't Christianity died? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever thought that it hasn't died because these apostles were really great marketing and strategy guys? I mean, seriously. 2,000 plus years, this movement is still going. Why? Because Jesus is not the dead leader of a failed movement. Rather, He is alive and well and leading an unstoppable movement. In all of this, God sovereignly uses a man, Gamaliel, who is both wrong and right. But a man who died Waiting to see. Finally. Let's look at the apostles once again. They are living demonstrations. Of a supernatural. Divine oxymoron. They are worthy of shame. They had the grace of disgrace. The honor of dishonor. They possessed joy. Alongside suffering. Again look at verse 41. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Christians are, among other things, living oxymorons, aren't they? We are dead to sin and yet alive in Christ. We are, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are humble, yet we are bold. We possess nothing that the world would consider valuable, but yet we possess everything, as the writer to the letter to the Hebrews tells his readers. So my friends, after spending some time here in this narrative account in the life of the early church, here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we honored to be dishonored on account of the name of Christ? Are you honored to be dishonored because all of who Jesus is and what he has and is doing and has promised to do for his people. Oh, my friends, how we need to walk with one another and encourage one another. Because it is hard to be honored by being dishonored and we need one another who are all singing off the same sheet of music. That's one of the blessings and the beauties and the benefits of the church. Did you notice this? And when they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer, and every day they did not cease. You see, the Christians not just me and Jesus until the end it's me and Jesus and all of those who he has called to himself who can jointly sing together yes it is an honor to be dishonored because the present sufferings now cannot in any way compare to the glory that awaits oh how we need to encourage one another to look ahead to be like we heard in our adult class not passion who wants it now but patience Who's willing to wait for it later? I hope you've read the Something to Think About quotes today. So let's end with this. What kind of joy is this that counts it a blessing to suffer? This is the joy of a soul that's forgiven. And free. My friends, that's what Jesus Christ does for us. He forgives us for the of our sins, the penalty that our sins occur, and he frees us from the dominion of our sins. Oh my friends, continue to look to Jesus. It's the only way in this day and age and in the coming days that we will be able to say with a straight face, it's an honor to be dishonored for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed, what kind of joy is this? Father, we could not manufacture this joy if we had all the right ingredients and a recipe. Father, this kind of joy comes from You. And so, Father, help us to look to you, to walk with you, to receive this joy that the world cannot quench. And, oh, Father, would you help us come alongside one another in the suffering, especially the suffering that's on account of our faith. Would you help us to be a great encouragement to one another, pointing one another to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and is now sitting at your right hand. Father, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen.